Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest installment of H2 Tech Talk, the podcast series by H2 Tech, the Hydrogen Technology Journal from Gulf Energy Information. My name is Tyler Campbell, Managing Editor of H2 Tech, and your host for this week's H2 Tech Talk. Today, we are joined by Kevin Lawler, Senior VP of Engineering at Avmia Fuels. How are you doing today, Kevin? I'm doing very well. How are you doing today? I'm doing excellent. Um, Thank you for joining us today. Thank you uh, for inviting me. It's been a it's a it's a pleasure. I've never done one of these before, so I'm I'm tremendously looking forward to it. Okay, well, that's great. I'm, I'm happy to be your first. Um, so before we get started to the listeners, I, I'd like to remind you to please like and subscribe for more expert discussions on the global hydrogen sector. Uh, so Kevin, how about we get started with the first question? Yeah, please. All right. So can you tell the listeners that may not be familiar about Ambient Fuels and your role within the company? Of course. Ambient Fuels likes to describe itself as a pure play green hydrogen developer. And our goal is to help heavy industry decarbonize. Um, So what Ambient Fuels primarily does is we are uh, using green hydrogen, which is hydrogen that is being produced through the electrolysis of water using renewable energy to produce hydrogen and CO2. And we're working with downstream customers in heavy industry to either use hydrogen as a feedstock in their process for things like making a fuel or making ammonia, or we're using it to replace industrial heat um applications for providing process heat for a company's needs or we are using it to um as a feedstock in a process that creates a fuel such as a sustainable aviation fuel so great uh, ambient fuels has been around for about 18 months and we are a combination of people from both the renewable energy industry that have experience in the development of wind and solar and battery projects and people that come from the traditional uh, chemical process industries such as refining uh, oil and gas midstream operations fertilizer and agricultural chemicals um, and it's that combination of you know people that are familiar with dealing with electrons and wires and people that are dealing with gaseous molecules and pipes that makes ambient fuels a very compelling organization to work for and um, a very effective partner for people that are looking to decarbonize their their uh, operations my role in ambient fuels as the senior vice president of technical services is to um, work with engineering procurement and construction companies work with original uh, equipment manufacturers for electrolysis equipment to come up with the most bespoke solutions uh, for our customers and to work with our customers to better understand their needs and the opportunities that we have to help them decarbonize their operations gotcha so i mean would you, uh, I guess maybe I'm somewhat putting words in your mouth, but if you consider yourself uh, an energy company, w- w- wouldn't you say it's a little bit late in the game to uh, start a new company, what, 18 months ago? Um, 
you know, the energy business has been around for decades in various iterations. You know, we had the traditional uh, energy business uh, that relied primarily on on fossil fuels, starting with coal uh, back pre-World War One. Uh, and it has been undergoing continuous involvement since then. You saw the the rise of oil as a primary energy medium. We've seen the rise of, of nuclear as an energy medium um, going back 20 years um, with the advent of the shale gas boom. We saw the rise of natural gas go, coming into prominence um, through use of combined cycle plants to provide electricity and to provide heat for people's homes and businesses. Um, with the uh, climate crisis that we have right now and the uh, need to reduce CO2 emissions, um, what we're seeing is an evolution toward renewable energy resources. Wind, solar, and battery um, have continued to evolve over the past 10 to 15 years to the point where uh, the capital that is being spent on developing renewable energy resources is rivaling the capital that's being spent on more traditional energy resources. Um, but, you know, renewable energy is not a, a full solution in that it has difficulty providing, you know, the uh, um, load factor that people might require or difficulty replacing some of the CO2 emissions that come from uh, environments like refining and agricultural chemicals that use hydrogen as a feedstock. So hydrogen is emerging as one of the new technologies that's helping us address the climate crisis. And Jacob Sussman, uh, who is the CEO of Ambient Fuels, recognized that hydrogen was uh, on a similar path that wind, solar, and battery had been on you know, 15 to 20 years prior to now, and that it was going to become a a tool within our energy strategy to be able to have a more robust energy economy in a way that was more climate friendly, that reduced CO2 emissions. So um, that is why Ambient Fuels formed 18 months ago, is to try to um, be one of the first players to bring this technology to greater acceptance and uh, commercial application within, you know, the U.S. industry. Gotcha, gotcha. So, I mean, basically, you know, with a new wave uh, breeds new opportunities, and here we're in a new opportunity of renewable energy and hydrogen, uh, right? Um, yes, that is correct. Uh, so, I mean, it, to continue with that, uh, uh, let's talk about hydrogen. Um, when does uh, when do you think that blue hydrogen makes sense versus green hydrogen? Uh, blue hydrogen makes sense in areas that have either limited or very high renewable energy costs. Um, it also is advantageous to look at blue hydrogen solutions in areas that have. Um, formations within the ground where you can store in the subsurface CO2 in a safe environmental manner. Um, so those are really kind of the two criterias of, you know, do you favor more green or favor more, more blue is the renewable energy and also the CO2 capture and sequestration options that you have. 
green hydrogen works very, very well where there is large amounts of renewable energy to reduce our uh, CO2 in our product. And we respond very well to load response. Uh, the equipment that runs green hydrogen electrolyzers can turn on and off more quickly based on load than, you know, the standard blue hydrogen steam methane reforming plant or autothermal reforming plant. Okay, so I mean, okay, interesting. Um, so are, are there particular, I guess, industries or sectors that you would say, you know, okay, a blue hydrogen or, or a green hydrogen, like, you know, say um, heavy duty transportation or, um, you know, the aviation sector or something like that? Um, I would say that, you know, petroleum refining, um, because natural gas is part of their processes and they do have natural gas uh, available, um, you know, within their facilities and they're very comfortable with running um, steam methane reforming and autothermal reforming plants. And a large number of the major refineries are also located in areas that are adjacent to uh, formations that are suitable for the storage uh, and sequestration of CO2 in the subsurface tend to lend themselves more as blue hydrogen customers at this point. Um, when you look at the agricultural chemical market, which their primary um, expense is natural gas at this point, um, you know, they have been favoring, I think, more green hydrogen or kicking off more green hydrogen projects because the changing in commodity prices with time of natural gas kind of create, creates a financial stress for those organizations that they might be able to alleviate with green hydrogen. Also, a large number of fertilizer and agricultural chemical facilities are located in uh, regions that have a plentiful uh, amount of renewable electricity to be able to draw on and uh, use to fuel their their green hydrogen facilities. I mean, I guess that makes sense if you really just think about it. I mean, agricultural industries having more access to those, you know, you know, solar, those kind of resources. Um, interesting when you think about it. So, um, I mean, but to talk more on hydrogen, how, how do you think that hydrogen can be utilized in the aviation sector? Hydrogen is a very interesting choice to be used in the aviation sector. Uh, the aviation sector since uh, 2008 has been moving toward uh, sustainable aviation fuels. Um, and in 2008 was the first biojet fuel test that was performed by Virgin Atlantic. And I believe there are nine different sustainable aviation fuel production pathways that are approved um, by the Department of Energy to use right now in the creation of sustainable aviation fuel. Uh, a large number of these pathways are some type of uh, variation of what we call Fischer trope synthesis, which is a technology that has been around for for decades and was heavily used um, to create fuels uh, in the South Africa uh, region. Um, Fischer-Tropsynthesis synthesis combines hydrogen 
and some form of carbon dioxide or carbon monoxide in order to create a fuel via a catalyst. So the catalyst combines hydrogen and carbon atoms and recombines them in such a way that it has a chemical properties very, very similar to aviation fuel that is produced through petroleum refining. And um, these types of sustainable aviation fuels through Fischer trope synthesis can be blended up to 50% right now with uh, traditional aviation fuels and used in, in commercial airliners uh, at, at this point. Hydrogen can also be used with kind of more of the biological uh, processes that are used to create uh, aviation fuels that are coming from some kind of organic matter, um, either like grass clippings or fats or animal products, uh, sugars, and it can be used to increase the efficiency of those processes by adding more hydrogen to combine with the carbons in a much more efficient way. And those type processes are, are you know, uh, approved, um, but the blending percentage is a little bit different. A lot of those are in the five to 30% range is what's allowed to blend with traditional aviation fuels to create a sustainable aviation fuel. So the hydrogen industry is helping to make these processes much more economical, much more available for airlines and other industrial uh, suppliers. Uh, that might purchase aviation fuels to offset their their uh, CO2 footprint from their employees traveling, and uh, you know is 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 opening up a a new pathway for um, our economy. Uh, sustainable aviation fuels has a, a tremendous ability to reduce CO2 emissions from the airline industries. Um, it is regularly quoted that long-term or widespread adoption of sustainable aviation fuels could reduce the CO2 emissions from airline travel, you know, up to 80 to 90%. Um, let's talk about the IRA, the U.S. Um, Inflation Reduction Act. Um, what are the implications of the U.S. IRA and, and how will ambient fuels utilize it going forward? Uh, the implications of the IRA is that um, customers that were slow to adopt green or blue hydrogen are now encouraged to do so um, because uh, green and blue hydrogen are much more cost competitive with the traditional ways to produce hydrogen, which is what we call gray or brown hydrogen. So the economic barrier to uh, green and blue hydrogen adoption is, is much less or depending on the area that you're in, is not a consideration at this time. So within companies like Ambient Fuels that specializes in green hydrogen, it's really uh, impacted our business by opening up uh, new markets to us that were not available before. Uh, many customers in the chemical industry that use natural gas for heat, um, automotive industry that use natural gas for, for various opportunities, um, the utility sector um, that previously, you know, were not favorable toward, uh, you know, starting green hydrogen or blue hydrogen projects are now uh, looking at them quite seriously. So the the IRA has has really kind of breathed a a new life into our business and expanded our opportunities. And um, 
how do you see it going in? Because I've, I've heard the, um, the DOE, uh, I guess the goal is the $1 per kilogram and um, what's it, in the decade. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that's feasible? Uh, I do believe it's feasible and, you know, it, it's coming through multiple different pathways that's leading that to feasibility. Um, the one main pathway is, is the IRA, in addition to having breathed, you know, new life into a company like Ambient Fuels or giving us much more uh, opportunities to sell into new markets, it's also created a investment within electrolyzer technology. So there is a number of different companies that are spending heavily on research and development on electrolyzer technology and increasing the efficiency of those technologies. So uh, it requires less electricity to produce a kilogram of hydrogen um, than it did before. So that overall drives the cost down. Also, they're shrinking the size of the plants, which drives the land cost down and the development. And uh, in addition to that, you're, as the industry is doing more projects, uh, you're finding just through the natural practice and repetition of doing these type of projects that costs are coming down. Uh, standardized drawings are being developed, standardized plant designs, uh, reduce the cost. And in addition to the cost efficiencies that are coming on the electrolyzer technology and also the uh, application of these projects, you're seeing even greater investment in renewable energy resources and the more renewable energy resources that come online uh, that are available for a company like Ambient Fuels that drives the overall cost of the electrical pricing down and all of those different factors drive the overall levelized cost of hydrogen down closer and closer to that one dollar per kilogram range uh, so perfect on, on cost i mean a large portion of ambient fuels is project development and financing correct um a large part of our capital cost uh, is project development oriented, financing oriented. The portion of the capital cost that is still, you know, most, uh, um, the largest portion of the pie for us is the cost of the electrolyzer equipment. Um, you know, but when you start looking at the levelized cost of, you know, what it takes to produce a kilogram of hydrogen, the major driver for the cost of our hydrogen is the cost of electrical price, of electrical procurement. Okay. Um, uh, so let me let me ask you a question from um, you know maybe a, an investor standpoint. Uh, well, do you see a, a, well actually do you see a disconnect between investor expectations and uh, realistic project timelines? Um, you know, one of the things that is fascinating about the IRA is that we do not have full guidance on how to apply the IRA, IRA at this point. Yeah. Um, we are still waiting for the IRS to uh, issue its rules uh, regarding um, the contracting of electrical energy in ways that, you know, are considered green so that the IRA provisions are um you know applicable to that project i would say that in until that guidance comes out that the 
kicking off of green hydrogen projects has been slower than might otherwise have been anticipated when the IRA was was first announced. Um, but I, I do think that there will be significant activity once that guidance is is coming out. I think that um, the uh, beginning ramp up of green and blue hydrogen projects might be a little bit slower than was originally forecasted with the IRA and the investment community anticipated. And, and it's just, you know, the the nature of the number of projects that are starting to be announced and are in different planning stages. Different electrical uh, grids have, you know, connection times that can be quite lengthy, which slows down green hydrogen um, uh, projects and you know the the EPA permitting required to inject CO2 in the subsurface is also a very lengthy process and you know the the getting of all the uh, permits for that type of operation as well as securing all the right-of-way necessarily for the CO2 pipelines transporting the the CO2 to the injection sites is 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 turning out to be probably a lengthier process than than many people had originally forecast. Assess. Yeah, that is really interesting. I mean, without clear guidelines of how, I mean, it, yeah, how is it going to progress any any uh, quicker, right? Um, so uh, let me finish this up by asking, I'm, how important do you believe collaborations uh, to be in the growing hydrogen economy? Uh, I think they're they're extremely important. Um, you know, there's there's numerous companies and industries that have to work together in order to make these projects come to successful fruition. Um, and not just companies, but also governmental agencies and and kind of quasi governmental agencies. So, um, you know, for a successful green hydrogen project, we need to be able to work with. Uh, renewable energy suppliers, independent power providers. We need to be working with our local um, uh, electrical utilities on connections. Um, we need to uh, work with uh, engineering companies, um, electrolyzer equipment manufacturing companies. We need, you know, kind of clear guidance and ability to acquire right away for pipelines and you know environmental permitting as well so there's numerous different agencies and players that that are involved in a green hydrogen project and i think maybe even more so on a blue hydrogen project that has you know goes across maybe multiple jurisdictions with their pipeline systems and and injection systems uh, so it is a, a a collaboration of multiple different parties to to make one of these projects happen. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, Kevin. Well, I mean, that's pretty much all I have for you um, today. Uh, do you have any closing thoughts, takeaways that like that you'd like to uh, tell our listeners? Uh, I think it is a very exciting time to be in the hydrogen space. I think we're at a tipping point within our economy and our uh, energy strategy as a country. We are starting to transition away from fossil fuels uh, used for cars, 
for heating our homes, for running our businesses, uh, moving more toward electrification of many of the services that we'd previously used fossil fuels. And for those services that it is not feasible to electrify, hydrogen is a very good choice to convert uh, for those situations in order to reduce our CO2 emissions and uh, meet the climate change targets that uh, we have laid out as a, as a society and a world. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you again, Kevin, for uh, taking time of your day to join us. Thank you, Tyler. I've greatly appreciated our conversation and the invitation to to join you on this podcast. Of course, of course. Um, yeah, we'll have to get you back on for an update sometime in the future. Yeah, would love that. Excellent. Um, and thank you to the listeners for tuning in to another episode of H2 Tech Talk. Please remember to share and subscribe.